listening to the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast. I'm Mandana. And I'm Ian. And, and we're, we're the, the Recefis. My husband Ian is a Bitcoin enthusiast, but I am not. Each week he tries to teach me something about Bitcoin and Bitcoin adoption. We have a lot of fun with it. But I'm not trying to overwhelm you with technical analysis and price targets, babe. You promise? I promise. And I promise we won't overwhelm you with ads. That's because we operate on the value for value business model. What's that? Instead of reading off a bunch of ads, we're going to keep things a little more personal, intimate, if you will. If you enjoy the show, meaning it brings you some value, consider supporting us. That support can be sharing the pot on your socials, recommending us to a friend, and yes, even sending us some money. And since I'm the Bitcoiner, I prefer Bitcoin. And you can send us some on our favorite podcasting app, Fountain. If you want to learn more about the pod, go to flirtingwithbitcoin.com and our Fout page to learn the different ways you can support the show. And if you're new here or not, make sure you check out the Satoshi Savings Calculator on the site. It's a little app that I built that enables you to set a goal for how much Bitcoin you want to acquire while also reinforcing certain Bitcoin concepts like the having and Satoshis. And since I know Bitcoiners are all about their privacy, the app works completely in airplane mode and only saves data to your browser's local storage. To all our fountainheads out there, keep making and sharing clips of the show. We may make the content, but without you, all I'm really doing here is flirting with my husband in front of a microphone. Y'all ready? I am. Let's go. Hey, Ian. Hey, Mandana. Hola. Guten Tag. Buongiorno. Konnichiwa. Bonjour. What time is it, babe? At the moment, the time is 762-616, and we are approximately 1,486 blocks since our last recording. It's been a minute. It has. We had a jackhammer going, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Recefi estate is under uh, development. <laughs> is that a good way to say it? That's one way to say it. You could actually let's let's go a little let's make it more of a Bitcoin thing and say the Recefi Citadel. All right. Yeah. I know you like talking that way, babe. I mean, estate, a citadel, same thing. All right. And Bitcoin is a little down. So how many acres could I get on Bitcoin Island with one US dollar? At this exact moment, you can get fifty seven hundred and ninety six acres for one dollar. So it went down yesterday. Like, is it called a crash? It went down to 16,000 yesterday, I saw. So as the intro said, we're not really here for price targets and talking about the price. I know, but... But but, um, there was a pretty big incident that happened this week that uh, caused a... I think it's the number two exchange in the world Uh, to basically go bankrupt. That's why. I didn't know if it was like the massive layoffs in the tech world. No. And people were just like selling off all their crypto. I mean, maybe that's a part of it. I doubt it. This was really about the fact that um, FTX has basically gone belly up. Mm-hmm. And we won't get into all the details, but basically one group starts selling. That causes another group to start selling. That causes yeah. another group to start selling. Well, let's get into those details like when we do our news episode yeah, yeah. for the week. Okay. But to that point, like that is why the price went down. Uh-huh. And the community, the Bitcoiners at large have basically soaked up all of that selling which is why you're seeing it go back up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yesterday I was like, should we just buy a bunch and make like a quick buck? And Ian's like so disciplined. He's like, we got it under control, babe. We buy every hour. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. But we could just make a, a quick ton of money. Like if we just 
like, and you're like, nope, nope. I mean, you're so you're, disciplined. You're working on the assumption that it is going to go back it up. It did go back up. But we're not out of this yet. I know. So, but then I could have sold then. I could have put a hundred dollars in yesterday, mm-hmm. and then I could have taken out what, like a hundred twenty-five dollars. What do you need that twenty-five dollars for? Go buy myself some dinner. You got to pay taxes on that twenty-five dollars. That's true. Oh, cup of coffee. Why pay taxes on it? Fine. Can you not afford the coffee? I can't afford the coffee. So then you don't need to sell Bitcoin at a profit to buy your coffee. Fine. <laughs> so I am bringing up the topic for today. I wanted us to talk about what's going on in Iran. So as you may know, I was born in Iran. I am Iranian and I came to America when I was four years old. Ian is not Iranian, but he is my husband. Um, but we wanted to connect Bitcoin to what is happening in Iran right now. Uh, I am not an expert at all when it comes to uh, foreign policy, let alone the uh, current state of Iranian politics, of Iranian way of life, like in, in none of those things. I am just a person who's been consuming the information that's coming out of Iran. A lot of it is not covered well by the media and so a lot of what i know is anecdotal information that's been shared through my personal channels and the channels of advocates but to summarize what's been happening over two months ago there was a woman who was killed by the so-called morality police because her compulsory hijab was not completely covering her in the way that they would like and so this sparked massive protests and it sparked what we're now seeing as what I want to call a revolution. A lot of confusion out there about what exactly is being protested. Some people think, first and foremost, they think people are protesting Islam. They are not. They are protesting forcing religion on people. People call this a women's rights movement. It absolutely is. But to be completely clear, men are also very oppressed by the Islamic Republic of Iran. It is also dictated what they wear. They will get in trouble if they have a haircut that's too Western. Uh, Men and women do not have freedom to spend time together in public if they're not married. There is huge oversight by the government on how people live their lives, how people run their businesses. Like there is so much that happens in Iran that oppresses the people. And so to add on top of that, Since the beginning of the Iranian revolution 40 years ago, the value of the Iranian currency has declined. And most recently, because of sanctions that are placed on Iran, mainly by the U.S. government, uh, the people of Iran have really suffered. And so the United States loves using sanctions on countries. They think it's an effective tool to sway um, the leaders of those countries. But I firmly believe that sanctions don't work and they only hurt the people. And Iran is the perfect uh, example of that. Even before COVID, uh, the people were being hit really hard, uh, coincidentally, when it comes to medical supplies and prescription medication. And you can only imagine what COVID did to Iranians. And today, the value of their currency is drastically dropping. It's projected to drop even more. So as these protests are happening, they've been happening for more than 40 days now. And it's historic. And they're just growing their protests around the world that are showing support for the people. It really does seem like they're pushing for change. And they're not asking for the requirement to wear a hijab to be removed. They want complete regime change. They want a change in leadership. They want freedoms. They want to live 
very much like a lot of us do in other countries, but that's what they're fighting for. And while this is all happening, I think that there is an important point to look at what's happening with their currency. So whether they're trying to get money in to help support the protesters, whether they're trying to move their money out because maybe they wanna leave the country or they're worried about what's gonna happen to their money, or they're just trying to keep their money safe because they see that something could happen to the country and the value of their currency will drastically decline. It's predicted that it will. Bitcoin to me seems like the obvious answer. So Iran is one of many countries that this has been happening to this year. I think it's pretty front and center in Iran for many different reasons. But wherever you are, if it looks like there's turmoil in your government and your financial markets, like they're eventually going to close the doors so that people can't get their money out that, and then you can't get out, right? Because you can't spend it. So Bitcoin keeps that door open for you. Bitcoin is the life raft for any type of financial turmoil that anyone could be experiencing anywhere. Um, I think the Iranian revolution is very unique in that there is this mass diaspora all over the, the world. And there is this like either A, I want to help by putting money into that system or B, I want to help by helping someone get out of that system. I think that knowing all of your options is going to enable people to make the best decision possible for what they want to do next. And I assume if you were in Iran right now and you hadn't already, you'd be moving all your money into Bitcoin. I would be selling everything that anybody would buy, converting it to Bitcoin and getting out. Yeah, you would get out. But I think a lot of them want to stay and fight That's for their cool. country. That's cool. If you want to stay though, yeah. right? Like if you want to stay, I encourage you to move your money into a system where someone can't prevent you from getting at it, right? Yeah. And this is what we've seen in Lebanon over the past year. For people who listen to the podcast, you've probably heard. If this is your first time hearing us, I'll tell the same story. Somebody robbed a bank in Lebanon just to get their own money. Mm -hmm. They weren't robbing the bank like, hey, give me all the money in the safe. He's waving a gun saying, I have $50,000 in here and I want my money back. Right. Right. He wasn't the only person that did that. Multiple people have done that in Lebanon. And that's a result of the Lebanese government and the Lebanese banking system locking people out of their bank account. That will happen in Iran. I think that that will happen in a lot of other countries in the next 12 to 24 months. And if you're not prepared before that moment, you're stuck, right? So knowing your options and being ready to make a drastic move if you need to is the best way to be prepared. And this past year, whether it was the Canadian protests, which that was February, which feels like years ago, mm -hmm. but that was only February. You know, the Canadian protests, the... Which was people trying to fund protests. Yeah, sure. And they so... did it through GoFundMe, and GoFundMe didn't like the mission of those protests, so they pulled all the funding. That's not exactly how that went down, but that is like the mainstream narrative of how ah, that went Ah, so down. how did it go down? The Canadian government called GoFundMe. Ah, yes. Which is two totally different things, mm -hmm. right? Like it's one thing to say like GoFundMe didn't want to be a part of it. That's not how it went down. It was government reaching out to a private entity saying, do not let them raise funds, right? Sounds very similar to Iran. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Now, now the Canadian citizens didn't see it that way. Not all of them, I should say. Because a lot of Canadian citizens thought that those protests were wrong and bad and shouldn't be happening. And so they were okay with whatever happened to those people, right? Hillary Clinton style, the deplorables, right? That's how they looked at them. In Iran, 
I think most people are now on the side of like these protests are maybe not great, but they need to happen. And so yeah, I think people are cheering on the sidelines. So the difference there is that Canada didn't have the the protests in Canada did not have the full support or the majority of the support. Whereas in Iran, whether it's internal or external, I think there's a lot more support. And so the more support that there is for the protests, the more likely that financial repression will come. The other thing that's happening in Iran and that the Iranian government does is if you are outside of the country and you do something in support of these protests... Like record a podcast episode? (laughs) Yeah. They punish the family and they'll go and they'll freeze the assets of Mm -hmm. the family members. Um, and even detain those family members and all of those things. So there's just a lot at risk. And to be clear, that's always been the reality. Mm -hmm. Um, They're an authoritarian government, and they've always ruled this way. And I go back to, I don't think they've ever had the support of the people. They have a lot of things in place to control and instill fear in the people. Just like in America, Gen Z is fed up. It's Gen Z of Iran that's fighting this battle. They really, in their minds, I think, have nothing to lose. And they are literally risking their lives. And some of them have lost their lives over this. So um, it's a really intense time. And I don't feel like remotely qualified to talk about it. But I want to shift and just talk about the logistics. If you're in Iran, this is how you move your money into Bitcoin. And as specific as possible as you can get, babe, I'm going to try to ask questions that I think Um, our listeners would have. So are you ready? Yeah. All right, let's get into it. Okay, so what's the exchange that you recommend people in Iran use to convert their money into Bitcoin? Oh, just jumping right into it, huh? Yeah, this is what people want to know. What are they going to search on the internet? You know, there was an article recently that talked about this company called Binance. It's the number one crypto exchange in the world, how they were actually facilitating some financial transactions with Iran during these sanctions. Obviously, the United States didn't like that. Mm -hmm. But that's how I came to learn about this exchange that's in Iran. It's called Nubitex, N-O-B-I-T-E-X dot I-R. Um, We'll put the link in the show notes. If you've ever seen the Binance home screen, and you see the home screen for this, it's basically Binance. So I don't know exactly the details of what's going on, but it appears to me that Binance just copy and pasted their entire platform and put it inside the Iranian domain. So that makes me believe that it works very similar to Binance, which is again, like I said, the number one crypto exchange in the world. So yeah, on this site, I'm not I'm not able to create an account, but it looks like you can exchange your Toman for Bitcoin at an exchange rate of 632 million to one Bitcoin. Ian's like, is that number right? And I'm like, yeah, that's inflation, baby. So yeah, I mean, that's one day a, the dollar will be that way. Six pro- million dollars for one loaf of bread. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know how much a loaf of bread costs in Iran, but 600 million of anything is a large unit. So yeah, you can convert it. That's the exchange rate. And as I've said on the podcast many times, um, once you've converted to Bitcoin, you have officially moved that money out of the country. Your person might still be in the country of Iran, but your money is fundamentally not. And because it's not inside of Iran, there are no longer any controls on your money. So you can send that Bitcoin to any person in the world. And does that mean that that person would also need to have an account on this exchange or is it just sending it to someone else's wallet on another exchange? 
Again, I can't create an account on this site, but I would imagine that you would convert your Tomon into Bitcoin and your Bitcoin would be on this site still. Mm -hmm. And as we say on the podcast, not your keys, not your coin. Mm -hmm. So whatever number of Bitcoin that you have on this site, it's still not Bitcoin yet. You could theoretically send it to someone from this exchange, but I don't recommend that. I recommend moving it off the exchange to a software wallet, such as Blue Wallet or Moon Wallet. But in Iran, will they have access to those things? You should have access to at least Moon Wallet. Moon Wallet is an open source wallet. It can be downloaded from anywhere. And it's just a website that they would be going to, creating an account with. These software wallets you don't create accounts with. Mm -hmm. This is an app on your phone like Gmail. Okay. Right? I don't know how the app store works in Iran, mm -hmm. but there are iPhones and Androids in Iran. There are no iPhones in Iran, babe. There are, <laughs> Apple follows those sanction laws. There are mobile phones yes. in Iran, <laughs> and those mobile phones have apps on them, yeah, I yeah. assume. Okay. So but you got to understand, like, when I'm asking these questions, it's know. because everything's just harder to do in this space when it comes to Iran, or we assume it's going to be harder because from our perspective, these sanctions have been crippling to the Iranian people's ability to like play in the internet space. Look, I, I understand exactly what you're saying, and I'm not saying this is going to be easy, but I think that if your country's in the middle of a revolution, you should have some impetus to figure this out, figure this out yeah. and figure out if it's right for you. Now, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm obviously making a recommendation. I don't know what's best for the individual. That's you know, that's actually one of the core tenets of Bitcoin is like, you don't get to make decisions for me. Like, I'll make the decisions that are best for me. Mm -hmm. So this is just a recommendation. But I recommend Nubitext to get the Bitcoin and then move it off of Nubitext to, a, to another location that is not an exchange. Now, that could be an app on your phone. That could be an app on your computer. That could even be, you know, like if you're really into Bitcoin and you know how to do these things, you can have like a paper wallet and all that fun stuff. But the goal is to get it off of Nubitex. What if I want to send it to someone I know who has their own Bitcoin wallet outside of the country? I just want to send the money out and have someone else take care of it for me. Is that all right, doing it from this exchange? I do not recommend sending Bitcoin from an exchange directly to a person that is not you, number mm -hmm. one. But number two, I don't recommend sending Bitcoin directly from an exchange to really anything that's identifiable to someone, right? So when I say send it to like a software wallet, there's nothing identifiable about that. Mm -hmm. Like Moon Wallet, I have it on my phone. I didn't have to create an account. There was no sign up. There was no KYC. It's just a temporary set of keys and a temporary set of addresses, but it's a place for that Bitcoin to land that's not identified to you. Because remember, the regime is very oppressive and they're going to punish. There are companies that are selling tools that will enable them to track where this mm -hmm. Bitcoin goes. If they want to track it, it is trackable. Mm -hmm. So you have to take steps to make sure that as it's moving along, it's less and less likely to be trackable. It's never completely untrackable because right. computers are just computers but when you move it off an exchange and this goes for any exchange truly not just this this exchange this goes for any exchange whether it's coinbase binance whatever you always want to send it to a location that is not associated with an identity that's the full stop statement and so those types of wallets are moon blue wallet all that fun stuff once it's there then you can send 
you can send fractions of your Bitcoin to different locations and the tracking starts to fall apart because they can make the assumption that a person withdrawing the entire amount from an exchange is probably sending it to themselves, right? But once you start sending it to different locations after that, it's all about probability. So what's the probability that a person sent it all to themselves and then sent 5% here, 2% there, 1% there? It starts to fall apart and become less and less. They can always follow the Bitcoin, but the probability that it's you becomes less and less and less. Maybe you're just buying things, right? Yeah, so then what's the step after that? This goes back to like, well, how how aggressive do you want to be with like your coin control, mm-hmm. right? We've talked about this on the show before. I would imagine in this scenario, you probably want to err on the side of more coin control than not. So there are two different systems you can use. One is called CoinJoin. One is called Whirlpool. And basically CoinJoin or Whirlpool are ways to, you're not going to be able to hide your Bitcoin, but it's a way to obfuscate where the Bitcoin is going so that those tracking systems can't track it with confidence, right? And so what I recommend is once you've gotten it off, you should wash it through Whirlpool or CoinJoin. I'll put links to that. It's pretty straightforward, but it's another step that you probably want to take, but you don't have to take, Mm -hmm. right? Once you've sent it through Whirlpool or CoinJoin, you can move it around with a little bit more confidence that it's not being tracked. Again, it can still be tracked, but you can have a little bit more confidence that it's not trackable as good as sending it directly from an exchange to your mom. But just to be clear, like the Iranian government is not opposed to Bitcoin in the way that China is. Well, at the moment. At the moment. And so So, doing something like this wouldn't immediately give them a legitimate reason to come after you to harass you or anything like that but not that they need legitimate reasons to do that they just say you're going against i've been tracking the iranian story from the bitcoin angle you know since everything happened and a little bit before that and i wasn't aware that binance was a big player but i was aware that you know bitcoin was being used amongst other cryptocurrencies Mm -hmm. right was being used by iranians to get around the sanctions Mm -hmm. right fundamentally that is what it's being used for I can't go on Amazon and buy what I need, but with Bitcoin, I can find a site that will at least sell it to me. The trick then becomes, how do you get it into the country? Mm -hmm. That becomes your barrier of entry, not so much the financial exchange. So with that being said, I think that getting your money into Bitcoin form, again, it just opens the doors for you, right? It opens so many doors where now maybe you need to buy a plane ticket, right? Well, someone else can buy the plane ticket for you, but you can send them the money mm-hmm. with no barriers, right? Right. You don't have to like show up with a pile of cash to pay them back. Mm-hmm. You can just say, here you go. Now, that's why I say like the tracking aspect, right? So if you're going to be doing transactions with people like out, outside of Iran, technically they should also do their own form of coin control. Mm-hmm. And most people don't, right? Yes, they should. But who knows what the United States government is going to do um, when all of this dust settles. Yeah, I mean, the United States government doesn't necessarily care, you know, I would imagine doesn't care about anything that's flowing into the United States, right? They care about outflows. Yep. Just like every other country cares about outflows. And so with China, the reason why China was so opposed to Bitcoin is because of the outflows, because China has a pretty strong firewall on their financial market. Um, A lot of people don't know this, but China has two currencies. They have the internal currency and the external currency. People were using Bitcoin to get that internal currency out of China, right? 
And so China is anti-Bitcoin because of that, because it breaks their control over that two-tiered currency system. Ironically, the United States has that also. Most people don't know that either, but it's less drastic for us than the Chinese, although I think it's about to become a problem for us also. We'll see. So that's why China was against it. Whereas in Iran, they don't have that concern. Like they're not concerned about the Toman like leaving, mm-hmm. right? Because they would love for it to leave because yeah. they would be exporting all the inflation that's happening, right? Even but- as much as like the Iranian government, not the people, just like the United, just like the United States government, the dollar is used in Iran. Sure. It's it's accepted currency. I mean, in the, Iran. the dollar the dollar is accepted everywhere on this planet yep. except for in Russia right now. Mm-hmm. And even in Russia, I'm sure if I gave someone a twenty dollar bill, they'd take it. Yeah, they'd right? give you a ride whenever wherever so, you need to go. So like. <laughs> Converting Tomans to Bitcoin is the most important step, obviously. Once you've done that, now your your options open up for you. And I don't think that the, the government of either Iran or America cares that you've converted your Tomans to Bitcoin. And I don't think that they care that they move around. What I do think that they will care about is, is Bitcoin being used as a way to funnel money into Iran to help people inside of Iran buy things to fight against the government. Yeah. Like that is fundamentally, if I were... That's if what I were they're claiming ta- right now. If That's I were to... literally ta- what they're claiming right now. They're claiming that these protesters in Iran are being paid by the U.S. government. <laughs> and maybe they are. And I don't, I don't know that there's a true or false statement. But what I'm saying is that if I were a totalitarian dictator that was trying to keep control, I would be more concerned about people having resources to buy things to fight against me. I don't care if it's yeah. leaving. Right. It might come back as the weapons, but you would stop the weapons. Right. Like, right. Right. So but just for the record, these are all peaceful protests. Again, I'm, they are not coming into these protests with any equipment, weapons, resources at all. It's they're fighting with they're protesting with their bodies. Sure. But, you know, there's there's other there's other things that you can buy that are not weapons. Right. That's all I'm getting. at. Mm-hmm. No, I, I understand. And it's absolutely where they're going to step in. They're going to look to see how, oh, how are resources coming in to help these people? Let's cut off whatever resources are coming to them. Sure. So when you have your money in Bitcoin, it can't be taken from you at a moment's notice. And that is the most important thing. Because if it hasn't happened yet, it is going to happen. Just like it happened in Canada. They are going to institute financial repression. People's bank accounts will be frozen. People will have no money. And then people will obviously pool resources together to help the people out who've been affected by that. From what I understand, Canada struggled with like even getting that conversation to happen about why are we doing this? I can't imagine that that's going to be resolved in Iran you know, by like parliamentary debate. Right. When concurrently the value of their money is dropping and the value of the money drastically dropping. And there's projections or predictions that it's about to get much, much worse. Right. And so this is the second part of Bitcoin is that in the United States, it's a little different. It's not as much of a, uh, of an inflation hedge, right? Like a lot of, you know, I've even said this on the podcast, like it's an inflation hedge and it is, In the United States, it's just a long-term inflation hedge. Again, this year, we've had plenty of examples. We had Canada, we had Russia, we had Sri Lanka, right? We have Turkey, we have Lebanon, we have all these countries where they've seen... England. I mean, England, sure. They've (laughs) they've seen, we've seen like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% decreases in the value of the money. Bitcoin doesn't necessarily see that decrease happen to it, you know? And I said this when, when it went down in Sri Lanka. If you had Bitcoin the day before Sri Lanka collapsed, 
you are one of the wealthiest people in Sri Lanka right now. Not because you have a lot of Bitcoin, but because you have anything. Anything. Yep. <laughs> because just like we're seeing in these crypto crashes that happened this week, the FTT token basically went to zero. Mm-hmm. From 22 to zero. That's what these currencies are doing. And that can happen when there's a revolution in a country. And that will happen. For a currency that's being controlled by a regime that's trying to be pushed out. That will 100% happen. Because the minute, assuming that this revolution is successful and they overthrow the government, that money is going to become worthless. Also, I think the other angle to it is if you have the Iranian people converting their tomans into Bitcoin, you're opting out of the Islamic Republic government. Mm-hmm. You're saying, nope, I'm not playing this game. I'm going to take my money out of this. Because there's a version of that also happening right now. A lot of the bazaars where there are a lot of merchants, they're just closing shop. There, There's different strikes happening. The oil workers are striking. And that was something that happened in the last revolution. It was one of the major milestones when the business side of things were striking, not just the people. For years, uh, women in the streets in the 70s were protesting and uh, nothing happened. Just to be clear, after the revolution, people were still protesting for about two years It took about two years for the government to really take over the lives of the people. So who knows how long this revolution will take. But if you hit them where it hurts, that's the bank. I mean, money is where everyone derives their power from, Mm -hmm. right? So like if I control the money, I control if you eat, theoretically. But yeah, to to the point we made at the beginning of the show, like Bitcoin is the revolution. Bitcoin is opting out. And it doesn't matter what country you're in. Sure, buy it in Iran and you're opting out of their system. Buy it in El Salvador, you're opting out of their system. Buy it in America, you're opting out of their system, right? We, as a humanity, are not going to be able to fight off the weapons that these governments have acquired from all of this money printing. They have aircraft carriers with planes on them with (laughs) nuclear weapons, right? Like, we're not fighting that off. That's like the worst case scenario, right? The United States, right? But Iran has, from, from what I hear, they have planes and tanks and bombs and, you know, they have a military, Like, you do not have enough money to buy another military to fight that. So what do you do? You opt out and you say, I will no longer use your money. Your money will have less and less value. And then you won't be able to buy the things that support your military. Yeah, I wanted to make two notes. One, there's this beautiful video of a woman, of a mother, an older mother, walking up to uh, where soldiers are standing to fight against the protesters and she like grabs him by the ear and is like you're coming home you're done you're not you're not (laughs) you're not gonna be on the side anymore so i think like you know there have been rumblings and little anecdotal stories of just people who serve it's mandatory in iran for men to serve that are admitting that they don't support the regime anymore and that they want to be for the people and they don't want to hurt the people so i am hopeful that that's part of the way that Um, this revolution will succeed is just the actual people within the military um, stepping away and not wanting to hurt their own people. But the other side of it is Bitcoin is also going to be the way that the evildoers of the country, the powerful of the country leave. Right now, a lot of the families of those in power in Iran live outside the country. They live in the United States. They live 20 minutes from here, babe. I know. Yep. And so these people, they live large with the U.S. dollar. And very early on in these protests, right? Like we're past 
day 40. I don't know how many days we're into it exactly. There were a lot of bank transfers for the wealthy class of Iran, those who were in power, leaving the country, taking all of their money with them. Um, you Smart know, move. Yeah. I mean, they th that was, you know, a really hopeful sign for the protesters because they were those people were seeing that maybe this their time had run out but they were doing it in tomans and dollars i believe they weren't doing it in bitcoin but it is possible that um bitcoin will also be a tool for the the you know quote unquote bad guys uh to get their money out as well and i think that that again is where people will say well i don't really think bitcoin is for me or bitcoin is good because also, it's going to be able to help a lot of people after the revolution, if the revolution does happen, get out, get their money, and they're going to be able to go anywhere they want, and they're not going to have their money taken from them. So I think even from that, there's going to be this hesitation to get into Bitcoin because people will go back and say, you know, it's it's a tool for, for, the, bad, for the bad guys. Yeah, but the bad guys already have all the tools. Yeah, they do. Right. And they're so, still getting away with it. So like, right. So they're, they're still living large in Tehranjelis, California. Right. So you're, I would, I would, I would say to the person who, who raised that issue, the bad guys already have all the tools. They already have access to moving their money through private banks and Swiss banks and all that fun stuff. Once you get to a certain level, you just get access to that. It's the people that are not wealthy that have no tools. Mm -hmm. And so to level the playing field, Bitcoin gives you the same tools as the bad guys. Now, if the bad guys think it's time to leave and the bad guys are taking all their stuff and the bad guys aren't telling you everything that's going on, best thing to do is probably follow the bad guys, yeah. right? Now, I'm not saying that like Bitcoin will stop the like pillaging of Iran, right? Like I'm sure there's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of corruption everywhere. I don't want to single out Iran, but there's a lot of corruption and a lot of people are taking money out any way they can. We've seen this this year. We've There's just stories of people getting stopped at borders who are fleeing insert country with like euros and yen and pounds and gold bars and Rolexes all in a suitcase because they take whatever is valuable and they leave, right? If you put everything that's valuable in a suitcase and put it in the back of your Mercedes and drive to the airport and then put it on your private jet... <laughs> No one's probably going to stop you. But if you got to put everything you own in a suitcase and get on a bus and ride it to the border and then get shake, shook down by border guards and yeah, they take, take all your stuff, stuff, right? Yep. Okay. They do. So they do that today. They, sure. So now here you go with Bitcoin. You get to the border. You can be butt naked. Now, obviously, don't get butt naked on a bus. But like, you don't have to have anything with you. If you can memorize 12 words, you can take all of your wealth out of the country with you, just like the bad guys. The only difference is that when you get to the border... And they try to shake you down, unless they explicitly know that you have Bitcoin, there's nothing that they can truly ask you to hand them. And I, I tell this to people, I, I said this to somebody over a Memorial Day weekend. Like, if you can memorize 12 words, you can go anywhere on the planet you want if you have a passport, right? But with enough money, you can buy a passport to any country. Bitcoin gives you the same tools as the bad guys. There are no good guys and bad guys on the Bitcoin network. Everyone is equal. If Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk can do it on the Bitcoin network, so can you. But you can't just go to a Swiss bank with $10 and say, will you please send this to someone in Mexico? It's not happening. They're like poor people. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> okay, so let's assume that... Someone listening right now doesn't listen to our podcast regularly, is not a Bitcoiner. Where do they start? Do they start on our website, on 
the page that you've made for this specific episode. I mean, I'll have a link to the exchange. I'll have a link to the article that kind of explained this exchange's existence to me. Um, but yeah, I would start there. This seems to be the Binance of Iran. Mm-hmm. And once you've converted your Tomans into Bitcoin, anything else you read about what you can do with Bitcoin now applies to you. Yeah, and I would say definitely reach out to us on our social accounts or, or the Fountain app. We have listeners in Iran on the Fountain app, so I know they're out there. But there's multiple ways that you can reach out to us if you have additional questions. I made a call for questions when I decided to do this episode and I got some really great questions and I hope we address those but if there's more things that come up we could turn this into a series Uh, whatever you guys want Um, I want to do our part and I think that this is the way that Ian and I can help bring clarity and also promote Bitcoin adoption in a situation where it's dire and I don't really think that Iranians in Iran and Iranians around the world can afford not paying attention and understanding what Bitcoin is anymore. We are an international community of people. Um, We're always going to be scattered and we need something like Bitcoin to keep us connected um, and keep us empowered to support each other. I know I get a little philosophical sometimes, but Bitcoin is the uniter. Like it doesn't not just for Iranians it's for everyone who has experienced this in the past and will experience it in the future right now Iran is experiencing it and I would argue that in the 70s there was no alternative Mm -hmm. and so a lot of these governments that are trying to repress their people have no way to account for this and so all they can do is try to convince you that it's for criminals They try to convince you that it's bad. They try to convince you not to use it and scare you away from using it because literally they cannot stop it. There is nothing they can do. And 40 years ago, we didn't have the internet and we didn't have internet money, but now we do. So I have a lot of hope. Me too.